From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to have the opportunity to speak with Professor Todd Newman, Professor of Life Sciences Communication at UW-Madison. Professor Newman's research and teaching on science communication speaks to this crucial defining moment in American history. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Newman. To get us started, do you want to tell us a little bit about your research interests and some of the classes that you teach? Uh, So I teach courses on strategic communication, marketing, and branding to both students in the life science communication major, as well as uh, majors across the different um, natural, physical, and environmental science majors we have on campus. And my research really looks at uh, similar concepts, like looking at how we think about the way in which science connects to a changing society. And so part of that is looking at how the public comes to understand complex science and technology issues, as well as understanding how scientists and other experts can communicate in more effective and engaging ways. So uh, both really important concepts, especially today in what's going on with COVID, as well as, um, you know, just the complexity of science and, and, communi- and communication. And yeah, I, I, I got into this field, you know, as someone who studied uh, environmental policy and thought I would go that way and then became super interested in why and how we uh, come to behave the way that we do and think the way we think. So I studied the ultimate black box, which is uh, human behavior. And it's been been fun ever since. Fair enough. And yeah, all of your research uh, really uniquely speaks to the current moment. Um, um, And I know you recently published an article called Science Elicits Hope in Americans. It's positive brand doesn't need to be partisan. Uh, do you want to talk about this article at all and some of the things that you are positing in it? Yeah, so the article uh, comes out of research uh, that my collaborator, uh, Chris Volpe, who's with a nonprofit organization called Science Counts, uh, and I have been discussing for some time, uh, which really thinks about how the public thinks and feels about science and how we can take those emotions and think of how the scientific community can better engage across different segments of the public, thinking about, you know, ideology is one of those, um, those segments specifically. And much of what the article posits is that there is this consistent emotion that cuts across political parties, that cuts across all the different demographics we control for, and that is hope. And, right, hope is this really complex emotion, but especially uh, given some of the issues we're seeing around messaging and uh, trying to gain buy-in around issues like COVID or whether we think of any other scientific issue, uh, we see that hope is really one of these powerful messages. And really, I think what we're trying to do um, in this research and what I tried to put together in this article is that, you know, we need to think of science as something is, is, it is this really complex, um, you know, 
idea and right there are institutions that represent science but it is something that's kind of much bigger than a lot of what we can grasp but at the same time right we see through a lot of how you know issues play out in society that you know indeed there is uh, a connection to science and, and and this connection that that the public has is really positive and that we don't need to right there's a lot of opportunity for the scientific community to capitalize this capitalism with this and hopefully that this starts you know thinking more creatively about how insights from strategic communication such as branding and marketing can be applied to the scientific community uh, there was a great quote by by larry page when he gave a talk to uh, the american association for the advancement of science the co-founder of google that said science has a marketing problem scientists right the the marketers aren't going into science they're going into private business but right there's a lot of overlap especially today that we see with um, thinking about these concepts and how they apply to these really complex issues yeah and how does uh all these i how do all of these ideas of messaging and messaging for science um kind of stand up or hold up in the face of covid and what we're seeing now with like um a lot of public distrust of science um and you know that coming from like a multitude of sources yeah i mean i think of what we're seeing with covid right is, is nothing new um, this is stuff as science communication researchers uh we've been examining for, for for decades whether it's climate change you know vaccines obviously has a lot of overlap gmos um, i mean you name it when it comes to complex and, and controversial science and right we can get into what what makes science controversial but right there, there's you know science is political right and there's a saying in the in the brand piece and right something that i think is really powerful that science right doesn't need to be partisan but science you know does need to be political and it's it's understanding that and i think you know what we're seeing with a lot of the messaging around this is a right this misinformation um you know others have called it this infodemic Right, and and there's a lot of social science research that says, you know, debunking misinformation, calling out misinformation isn't necessarily um, beneficial, especially for those who are already dismissive. It could have, you know, backfiring effects. Um, but I think what we're seeing is that, right, what it really comes down to is it's not necessarily the science, right, that people are, are disagreeing with. Right, you look at a lot of public opinion polling when it comes to science in general, even in the, the current times with COVID and scientists and medical doctors are still one of the most trusted institutions in the US. Um, but really what we're seeing is the policies, right? When it comes to mask mandates, when it comes to these other things, which is, right, really gets at what is the issue. And this kind of goes into the, the branding piece is that science, right, is a utility. Science takes on meaning once it's connected to things and when it's connected to things like putting on a mask that's mandated by, right, some hierarchical entity that Right, might disagree with your values and beliefs. Um, right, that's when you see this polarization happening. So really, you know, understanding this complex dynamic of how science intersects with our economic systems, our social systems, all of these other, um, you know, dynamics at play. That's really where I think science communication research and the research we do in right, the Department of Life Science Communication really seeks to uncover. Yeah, it's all super interesting research and so important. And I know in your article, you also talk about um, some work that was done a couple of years ago that suggests that there is like a, a war on science in the media and that um, there is like even a lot of 
information bias among you know like liberal elites when a lot of like liberal elites kind of like look down on uh conservative americans for like being like ignorant in air quotes yeah i mean a couple couple things to unpack there i mean first of all the war on science frame i mean you know calling anything calling out a war on science is not good right anytime you use us for them us versus them tactics is not good especially for something like science right it's one thing if you're if you're wendy's and you're and you're targeting right people that go to mcdonald's and trying to get them right those tactics can be useful but when it comes to something like science right that that, that deals with you know you know how, how society develops and prospers right these kind of tactics don't do much help and i think right one of the the ways in which this war on science frame um, evolved was you know partially through this march for science the march for science right and this idea that right a lot of um, the messaging around that and a lot of the uh, communities engaging in that were were liberals or democrats right were connected to those issues right and it put this it put this face on on science and this is not new it was just something that garnered a lot of media attention and, and developed that um, but you know I think the idea that we're, we're all biased right and that right people say oh people are ignorant they don't trust the science right you know I don't know if I would call it ignorance right because there, there's a there's one really good um, poll that came out um, that my colleague showed me that said you know liberals when asked if they believe uh, the government's uh, COVID numbers are accurate said the majority of them said, I think two thirds that uh, they're, they're uh, under-reporting, whereas conservatives, right? I think it was something like 40% said they're over-reporting, right? So even these government statistics, right? Liberals and conservatives don't see them as valid, either see it under-reporters, over-reporters. And right, this gets to the idea that, right? We all are, you know, motivated reasoners and that we seek out and process information that, confer that confirms rather than uh, dismisses right our prior beliefs and that's what makes science communication so tricky right but at the same time it also is why you know social science research in this area is so important and why this idea that right we can't just inform people right in science communication we have this saying uh, or this, this term called the deficit model which is that if you just pump people with information right they'll just see the science as as we scientists do but that's not the case right science evolves in this complex thing uh, called right our, our social networks, our mental models of how the world works. And so it's really about understanding and unpacking, you know, what it is, what are the values and beliefs and um, other, you know, ways in which science can connect to these public audiences that don't even have to be about science. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to motivated reasoning, right, the key way to tackle that is you try to connect the issue to things that right different audiences care about in, in strategic communication right in, in marketing there's a lot of that audience segmentation right seeing how different audiences um, uh, fit based in terms of their behaviors and, and their attitudes and their values and their beliefs right and it's the same thing with this we can't assume that all information will be picked up equally but we have to understand these different ways of, of targeting yeah, all excellent points and all this could be like a whole podcast series, honestly. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have that kind of time. So kind of 
moving on and keeping that in mind, um, given your research and evidence that both liberals and conservatives who identify really strongly as ideologues, they read and process scientific news in biased ways, like we were just talking about. Do you think that the partisan divide over COVID-19 will contribute to an increase in politically divided scientific beliefs, like more generally? I guess another way to say this is, do you kind of see the COVID-19 pandemic paving the way for more of like a pro-science community in a post-COVID world or like a divided world afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's going on now, you know, with COVID, is really providing a lens through which, right, so much of the public, right, and especially, right, I mean, politicization around COVID is unique to the U.S., right? We see it in other parts of, of, the, of the world, but it's really not at the level that it is anywhere else except here. And, you know, I think that the lens that this is giving in the, in the right, the media attention to it, the, the, the thinking around it, is really providing a way in which, um, you know, for coming different audiences are coming into understanding this issue, and you know, I don't think, again, this is this is this is anything new in terms of right how, how science is is, uh, is politicized. I think it's more about and what we're seeing is just how strongly individual value and belief systems influence, right, how they view scientific information that, right, it's not the science itself. It's not, right, we see that there's high trust in science. We see, you know, Fauci is, is still, and medical doctors and scientists are still trusted across, you know, obviously lower among conservatives uh, than others with Fauci, for example, but other, otherwise, you know, pretty consistent. It's really about, right, how we think about the policies and how we think about the way in which these policies are communicated, the way in which we understand how social dynamics and social norms influence individual behavior, all really interplay with that. And you know, I don't, I don't know if, if science is going to become more politicized because of this. Um, you know, I think I think if anything, this is waking up a lot of people to the dynamics around science that you know. For so many people were taken uh, for granted when it came to climate change, which has become, you know, the, the, the ultimate politicized issue. But right for this, really seeing it evolve with before our own eyes uh, and, and, and right, the touch points around it, I think, makes for a really unique case study. Yeah, definitely. As we're talking about all of this science in the media, what are some ways that you are seeing in your research that different forms of media are kind of undermining um belief in science or like trust in science yeah i mean i think there's no doubt that right the the fragmentation of you know the media ecosystem when it comes to you know cable news when it comes to online media social media are all right allowing us to you know either view what we want to view in terms of whether that is political news or not political news uh or, or science news um as well as right, what kind of viewpoints we want to see, and right, there's there's long-standing research looking at these dynamics of echo chambers and how right we kind of these filter bubbles that we you know get our news and information from, you know some uh, thinking it's more extreme than others, but I mean it's it's a fact. I mean I think 
the difficult thing when it comes to a lot of the issues around um, COVID and when it comes to, you know, science more generally is, you know, the significant distrust there is in the news media, especially among conservatives and the enormous trust there is around, right, what Trump says and, right, um, the conservative media network, right? That's why conservative talk radio is such a prominent force. So, right, I think we get our talking points then, uh, you know, from A, trusted sources, those who think like we do, those who, um, right, see the world as, as we see it and often reinforces our beliefs. And, right, when we don't have that, that, that crossing of viewpoints, uh, it becomes really easy to be entwined in that. And I think the, the, the final point is that, right, <laughs> we're, we're connected more or less to people that think and act like us or that, right, live, live close to us. And, right, that's only reinforcing these beliefs, whether it's, you know, acting as, uh, you know, a filter to our filter bubble in terms of what type of information, right, we're commenting and sharing on comes to social media. Um, and, and the dynamic that, right, we, we want to act and we want to think like our, right, our, our, our networks do. We don't want to be, it's, it's sometimes really hard, right, if you're, if, you're, if you're living in a community where everyone thinks, you know, mask mandates are uh, ridiculous and no one wears masks and you're the one person using a mask, right, you might maybe have, uh, right, you might suppress that attitude or vice versa, right, if you're in um, a community where everyone is wearing masks and you're that one person not. So, right, these, these social dynamics really play a role in that and the media is a big way in which they develop. Yeah, yeah. What are some things that need to change in your view um, in terms of building nonpartisan consensus around like major scientific crises? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the key things and this is kind of standard strategic communication is you get trusted messengers to communicate through trusted sources, right, clear and consistent messages. And I think that's, you know, one of the things as I've talked to, um, you know, communities uh, throughout uh, that, you know, communities throughout Wisconsin as part of, right, the initiatives going on here at, here on campus of trying to think of, of COVID messaging is that Right, you need trusted communicators. So, right, if you're trying to communicate to a group that maybe is dismissive of of uh, COVID, uh, not you know, mask wearing, maybe you know, think dismissing the scientific consensus, right? Thinking about a, how do you get a trusted communicator? So, who are individuals that those communities might trust? So, maybe that's those in law enforcement, maybe those who are veterans, maybe those who are small business owners. Why small business owners? Well, right. Connecting mask wearing to this idea that we can open up the economy quicker, right? Uh, everybody wants the economy to open back up. Nobody wants to see, right, small businesses fail, right? Small businesses and the pursuit of, right, uh, one's own business highly aligns with individualistic, you know, thinking. Um, you know, maybe you can get, right, of someone who has that background communicating a message through a trusted channel, which might be, right, uh, a, a radio program. Uh, that right is very targeted to a certain audience. Maybe it's uh, on a on a Facebook page or or something uh, like that. So I think right that that's one of the key things. And I think the other one is 
right? This idea that kind of goes back to the branding article, which is language uh, that really speaks to shared values. And right, that's why I think the hope is something to uh, ponder for the scientific community in their messaging because, right, people see that, right, science is gonna bring some benefit. And I think it's connecting to what that benefit is. And it might not always be exactly aligned with, right, scientific breakthroughs it might be reopening the economy, might be able to see, right, a relative that you haven't seen so long, like what, how does science play around that? And so I think it's really thinking about what these shared values are and that they don't have to necessarily align with science, right? I mean, one of the classic examples is climate change. Whenever, when anyone asks me about how to communicate climate change to those who might be dismissive, I say, don't talk about climate change. <laughs> talk about, talk about right, everything else that revolves around that, but don't bring up climate change. I mean, you don't have to. And I think it's the same with this. Is you don't wanna, you don't wanna trigger, you don't wanna use words to trigger um, right, motivated reasoning and, and people starting to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, put up their filters and, 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 and act in that, in that way. And so I think, you know, those are some of the, uh, the big ones when it comes to kind of moving forward around, you know, messaging around, around COVID. What are some things that social media giants could do better about misinformation and kind of our communications about science? I'm thinking mainly Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's complicated. And, you know, we see recently, um, you know, when the, when the big tech executives came and, and, and testified on Capitol Hill, right, immediately, this is not a new talking point about these, right, conservative biases with big tech. And so if you start having, right, Facebook and, and Twitter, you know, uh, silencing and or flagging, right, misinformation uh, or, or other things like that, you know, that could backfire on those who are already right, pretty dismissive that maybe you're trying to assuage. And so I think, you know, when it comes to the role of social media and, and, and Facebook, I mean, I think there is really good research going on on fact-checking and misinformation um, within the social sciences, the extent to which we know, like, how does, you know, fact-checking and, and flagging misinformation lead to downstream political behaviors is still, I think, a little bit um, you know, uh, unsolved, right? We do know misinformation, right? Flagging misinformation, repeating misinformation, I should say, uh, is never is never positive. Um, but right, I think there are opportunities, and you know, there's a lot of good fact-checking organizations that are trying to, right, think of crowdsourcing ways to do this, that are trying to develop other ways of thinking of, you know, what is the role um, of maybe independent entities outside of you know, Facebook and Twitter acting in this, in this remark. But I mean, as, as social scientists, you know, that, that study these phenomena, it's, it's really hard, especially uh, when it comes to Facebook um, uh, and, and Twitter to some extent too, but right, A, it's really hard to get any kind of um, metadata around, right, Facebook activity. Facebook is not notoriously, uh, uh, buddies with the academic community in terms of giving over that information. Twitter, a little bit more so, but even then we don't know how their algorithms work, what tips an algorithm one way, what tips an algorithm another way, for good reason, right? We don't, we don't want people to know uh, that because that can have really detrimental effects to, to society. And right? we've kind of seen that to some extent um, with you know, misinformation and things like that. 
Um, but I think, you know, I think Twitter and Facebook stepping into a role as an arbiter of what's, what's true and what's not, um, is not the best, uh, way to go. Um, I think that, right. If there, if there is going to be fact checking and if there is going to be other types of, um, you know, flagging and misinformation on social media, that needs to be done by, you know, trusted third parties and who those trusted third parties are and right. How they communicate who they are, um, is something that I think is, is very much evolving and being tested now. Um, so short answer is it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. And I've been kind of dancing around mentioning him so far, but, um, what's your take on, uh, like Twitter and Facebook having now taken much more action against the president and his posts than they have ever in the past? What's kind of your take on, um, how they have navigated what they have done? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just reinforcing, right, the talking point that, right, the social media companies are part of the larger, you know, media system and that, right, they're, they're suppressing, right, these, these, these arguments and these, um, you know, comments by, uh, you know, who people see as a trusted, you know, elected official. And I, you know, I, I don't think it's doing anything to, to solve, you know, when this happens, other than giving talking points to each side and further contributing to, <laughs> right, the, the perils around uh, social media and democratic society. Um, but, you know, I think this is something that, you know, we'll see, you know, how, how, it, how it evolves. And I think, right, there's a lot of motivated reasoning that we see around um, social media companies taking action. You know, in the Department of Life Sciences Communication, we did a, we just recently did a survey on public attitudes around um, AI, artificial intelligence across many different areas. And one of the um, experiments that we did looked at kind of how different trusted messengers communicating about the bias of algorithms, um, right, is, 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 um, is processed by by partisans, and, right? We see that, right? If, if a trusted, if a trusted, uh, you know, conservative, right, tells you that you know AI is biased against you, you're much more likely to believe it than if a trusted, right, Democrat says it. Um, and to some extent, we see that vice versa. So part of it is, right? There, there's a whole communication dynamic now, similar to what we see around COVID, similar to what we see around everything else. Looking at, right, now. How right? What what role social media has and 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 you know arbitrating the information that we see and um, yeah. So you know again, these actions I think are are talking points um, that you know contribute to a lot of polarization that we see. Maybe as we're as we're kind of wrapping up and running out of time, we can go back to some of your research that you talked about in your article about. Uh, hope in Americans and kind of end on a lighter note uh, since a lot of this is not necessarily the most light news mm -hmm. but um, so like what kinds of things are you seeing Americans hopeful about or like what is your research on hope in Americans and in like uh, communications showing yeah so I mean we still don't know a lot about the dynamics of how hope plays out among Americans and you know I'm starting to do some research in the fall tapping into that some more, especially in light of kind of uh, COVID and, and you know, these survey 
the survey was done some years ago before any of this was even an issue. So thinking about how this plays out. But I think, right, it comes down to this idea that, you know, science is a political issue. We know that. But science is, you know, an issue where Americans across the board have a lot of faith, have a lot of trust. Um, you know, just because someone doesn't believe in wearing a mask doesn't mean they don't believe the science, right? It could be they don't, right? They just think it's, um, right, an overstep of a government mandate or something like that, right? And I think part of what, you know, this, like, untackling the hope aspect of communication is trying to get at is that, right, and this is something, um, you know, I often talk about when I give these, when I give talks on, uh, branding and science communication is, uh, you know, music is a really good analogy to this, right? We, we can we can all disagree on music. Like I don't happen to like country music very much, um, but I, I like I like jazz. And there's people that think jazz is you know ridiculous, but think country music is is awesome, right? But at the end of the day, one of you know the person who doesn't like uh, who starts listening to jazz music or likes country isn't like you know I'm done with music. This is this is just not my thing. Um, we don't see that, right? People still respect music. People still respect that idea, and it's the same thing with science. Is that right? We're all going to disagree on on scientific issues, right? We should, because that is science. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, right? The whole the whole ethos of science is to be right skeptical, but it's it's understanding, you know. I think what it is that science can bring to us um, individually and collectively. And I think, you know, hopefully what this starts to unravel is, is thinking more about how, you know, and, and, you know, we think about years from now, you know, looking back, um, right, people thinking and looking at this, this age of COVID and, right, why, why did this happen? And like, why did we think about, why did, why did it unravel the way it did, right? I think it's, it's, it's not going to be as much of like, like what I hope is not as much as, wow, there was some really ignorant people that didn't believe in science and what officials were saying. I mean, I hope we can get to a point where people start being like, and I think the hope idea will get at this is, is understanding, you know, okay, you know, I know why these people disagreed. I understand what these disagreements were about. I, I, I you know, the social context, I understand it. Like that's, I think, where hopefully we will be decades from now, I don't know. But I think that takes really tapping into, right, good research about, right, these attitudes around how they're, how they're constructed, but also thinking a lot about this, this, the, the, the social context um, that we're, that we're currently living in. And I think, you know, the thing with hope is it's, it's an awesome brand for, for anything. And I think the key now is just having, um, right, scientific community, especially think about, right, how they can tap into, you know, what different Americans are hoping for and why. That's really what the essence of that research um, looks to uncover. To your point about future generations looking back, um, I guess we can only say hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, I'm pretty proud of that joke. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say uh, while we're still on air? Yeah, no, I... This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I didn't mean to be super pessimistic, but you know, I think as as a social as a scientist, right? That's what we do is we try to break things apart and, and deconstruct them. And right, I think hopefully 
the listeners will, you know, hopefully find some avenues to see these, 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 um, these different strands of, of discontent and find ways to hopefully make the world a better place. There are definitely hints of hope. Definitely hints of hope. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, um, Professor Newman. Thanks a lot, Adam. I really enjoyed being here, being with you today. For more information regarding the podcast, please visit policy.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.